Welcome to the Develop Yourself podcast, where we teach you everything you need to land your first job as a software developer by developing yourself, developing your skills, your network, your habits, and more. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Hayslip, and today we're going to be starting a new tradition. One episode a month will be a check-in between Peter and I to dive into our own software engineering careers. So for context, as you know from our last episode, Peter is our new co-host and he was a senior software engineer until about a couple weeks ago whenever he quit his job to pursue a life of self-employment. Now I did this myself about eight years ago, so we figured it would be fun to check in each month on one another and chat through this process, any new developments we're making and how it's going. Anyway, today's episode is basically the backstory of how each of us did this, and I hope you enjoy it. So it's just you and I on this episode, and we were just talking about how about every month or so we want to do an episode where it's you and I catching up. And I thought it'd be good if we started off by kind of going through each of our backstories a little bit, because in my mind, one thing that is interesting to me about becoming a software engineer, especially those who you know, go through a boot camp or didn't do this in college, basically career changers, is that that could be just your first step to this insane experience of entrepreneurship. Or one of the posts I posted on LinkedIn the other day was, hey, we've got all these companies that are desperate for software engineers. Um, but software engineers don't want to work for one company anymore, right? Like, uh, my friend Brian just texted me that he put in his notice today at IBM. You obviously have quit your job. So entrepreneurs, like the, the or sorry, software engineers, the, the future looks different. I mean, I prematurely quit way too early. I mean, I had one year as a software engineer and then I was like, okay, I'm done that. I just went through all this, this pain to become one. And now I quit to become an entrepreneur. Um, so I see that happening so much more. So that'd be cool if we could kind of lay down a foundation for like what our stories are. And then, um, you know, I think you've done that well on your YouTube channel, but then we could kind of build off of that every month and just say, okay, we're, we're giving all this advice on this podcast and doing all these interviews, but like, what are we doing? And I've, and I've really never talked about that before online. Yeah, I think it'd be great. I'm also interested to, to hear your story because I know you went from, like you said, one year experience to founding several boot camps. And I've, I'm a little bit hazy on the in-between, even though I've known you for a long time. So I think it'll be, it'll be interesting for people to hear what you can do with these skills once you've got them. Yeah, cool. Okay, so um, I'm going to be the deflective question asker that my wife has taught me to be and start with you. <laughs> Great. Um, so, Because I, I know a little bit of your story and I think we covered actually on whatever the episode was whenever you, um, I forget what episode number it was, whenever you uh, it was 12. were- were a guest before you became a co-host, which we haven't really talked about at all either. But I think you 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 entered it pretty well. We can yeah. get there if we need to. Um, but yeah, like let's zoom in on you know. I think the short story I think for you was you went through coding boot camp. But I would love to dive a little bit more into was this thing that you're doing now, which you can explain more. Which is like you quit your job and now you're going to be like an an indie hacker. <laughs> you might have a different word for it. But was that always part of your plan before you started a boot camp or going to a boot camp? No, and it's a good question. So I think the most immediate goal, of course, was to become a software engineer. Uh, And I didn't find indie hackers until like two years into being a software engineer, probably. Um, And I have a big, long YouTube video where I talk about this. But discovering indie hackers was the first time where I was like, oh, people make a living 
selling software and it doesn't have to be enterprise software. It can just solve a problem. Uh, and I was kind of interested. I was more interested in financial independence before that, I would say. So I was following traditional FIRE principles, which if you're in the audience and you don't know what that is, it's uh, financial independence retire early. And the idea is basically once you've saved up 25 times your annual expenses, you don't have to work anymore. Um, And so initially I was like, well, that sounds great. Um, Even though I was enjoying coding a lot more than what I did before. Uh, But along the way, I realized, number one, it's extremely future focused and it was kind of impeding my ability to enjoy the present. And uh, it's just kind of like a lot of the people that do it just kind of hate their job. And so kind of set their hopes on this one day retirement, which will hopefully come sooner than typically Americans retire, but still is, is very much, like I said, future focused, kind of ignores what you can do in the present. And Were so you when into, I found in, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Were you into, cause I've, I've like gone down that rabbit hole too, of like the fire movement. Were you into that before the boot camp? or? Yes, actually. Oh, cool. Um, okay. So I had a year before I went to boot camp where I was basically not making any money. So I worked (laughs) in foster care, which in and of itself, like even if you got paid a hundred grand a year to do foster care, it would still be, in my opinion, like too hard for the money. Mm, Um, It's just so hard, Um, emotionally hard, sometimes physically hard. And so uh, I was working 25 hours a week um, because that's what the place I was working for could offer $12 an hour. Uh, I think that's like, I don't know what that is. It's, it's like a, a thousand dollars a month or something. I don't know. Basically I was like barely paying rent. Uh, and so I don't even know how I found it, but I found Mr. Money mustaches blog and he's kind of the King daddy of fire movement. Uh, he popularized it for a lot of people through this blog. And so part of my thinking behind coming, becoming an engineer was I just need something that pays decently. Uh, of course, along with all the other things, like making sure that I liked it, making sure that I, felt like it was something I could do well in, enjoying the problem solving and all that. But finances were a big motivator. Hmm. Uh, And so I wasn't really able to save and invest at that point, but I wanted to because I was reading all these things. And so basically, as soon as I got my first job, I started saving and investing. Uh, And so that's kind of where I was at up until I found Indie Hackers. So um, you don't talk about it, but so did you start like pretty aggressively saving and investing like from the beginning because you were excited to be able to finally do that? Yeah, I was fired up. Like, and I got married also, like right before I started my first job. And so, was, was your wife ex- like, was she on board for the fire lifestyle? Yeah, I think I probably had to do some explaining, just like yeah. I've had to do some explaining with what I'm currently doing. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> thankfully, I've always been kind of the finance person in cool. our marriage. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, and she's kind of naturally a saver as well. So, yeah, basically. I'd say even from that point, probably was I also had debt to pay down. So I had debt from boot camp, but basically cool. started paying down debt and saving pretty aggressively. Got very used to living on far less than I was making, which yeah. is coming in very handy right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then with raises and stuff, doing my best to invest the basically new raise money. Yeah and not let my lifestyle uh, inflate. So that's a big risk for people when you get raises. Um, and, and that was kind of the playbook until I thought maybe I could do something uh, more uh, present focused and less future focused. Yeah. Well, how'd you buy that Ferrari that's behind you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
uh, selling uh, online courses like Ty Lopez. I guess it's a bike, but <laughs> yeah, it's a bike. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Okay. That's, that's crazy. I, I love that. I went through down that rabbit hole with fire as well. And like, I'm not, I'm still there. Must your money mustache. I think like what I realized, like you said, is most people just hated their jobs. Like they were working these insane jobs at like 60, 70 hours a week and they hated them. And I was like, Oh, I'm not running from my job, you know? <laughs> so right. it, it didn't seem to really fit in. Um, but it, it really was a good shock to like think through, Oh, you don't have to just do things the way your parents did. It's insane to think through like the options that you have. Right. What, um, okay. What led you to, okay. So you're working for a software engineer for, as a software engineer for a while. You discovered indie hackers. How did that like evolve into, cause it seems like a huge jump to, to say, okay, there are people out in the world who uh, basically work independently and they, they sell SaaS products. That's a big jump to go from that's cool to I'm just going to like quit my job and stop making income and, and I'm going to go do that without having like, you know, a plan. Right. <laughs> Something working. Yeah. 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 Something working. I guess you probably have a plan, but. Yeah. So it's, it's actually a very vague plan. Um, so I'll explain the kind of what led me to that point. I would say basically the pandemic drastically accelerated whatever that plan was. Cool. So basically I kind of knew at a certain point that I wanted to try entrepreneurship, especially after finding indie hackers. Uh, but I didn't know quite when that would be. But when I took my most recent job, uh, which I guess I'm, I'm on week four right now uh, of self-employment. So the, basically the job I had until a few weeks ago, when I first got it in April 2019, I knew even then, after I'm done with this job, I'm going to try entrepreneurship pretty much. Cool. I just thought like, I don't know when that's going to be. I may leave this job in a couple of years. It may be longer than that. And I ended up staying for about three years, but it was remote to start, which was really special because at that time it felt extremely rare. Uh, and so yeah. I was working in Durham actually at the time and had a commute. And so I knew I didn't want to commute, but once I started working remotely, I kind of knew that I didn't really want to go into an office again either. And it felt like a job I really had to hang on to because it just felt like a really rare opportunity. And I loved the company and the people yeah. and the project. It was a very good situation. So uh, I just didn't really feel a need to leave. And I didn't really know when the jump would happen. But when the pandemic struck, a few things happened. Number one, uh, everyone was working remotely. And so this remote situation I had that felt like uh, striking gold was suddenly everywhere. And so yeah. there was nothing against my company. It was still a great job, but that was for me, one of the most distinctive features of the job and like one of the biggest benefits. And all of a sudden it was ubiquitous. Yeah. And so that went a long way towards me kind of feeling like, well, maybe I don't have to hang on to this job forever. Um, a couple, couple other things that happened. I read this blog post called The Tail End, which I've also talked about on my YouTube channel a couple of times. But basically the idea is that when you count up the number of hours you've spent with people you love and the number of hours you have left, like particularly parents, you're in your last probably 10%. Uh, and I'll, we'll link the blog post in the show notes so you can go read it yourself. But basically I realized I don't actually have that much time left with my parents. Uh, and also the pandemic went a long way towards emphasizing that just because it was like, hey, uh, yeah. life is fragile and not guaranteed. And so I was thinking a lot about that and during that time, I started a newsletter and it was kind of like a public diary. I would just write about whatever I was interested in. 
And looking back, it's clear that a lot of my thinking was about work. And so I was thinking a lot about work and questioning a lot of the defaults of like work 40 plus hours a week. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're lucky, you get two or three weeks off and yeah. you do that until if you're a fire person, you retire, you know, at 40 or something. If you're a regular person till 65. And I just kind of realized like, I don't want to be an employee anymore. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't really know what to do after that. And that's kind of where this guy, Daniel Vasallo, comes into play. So this is a guy who quit his job at Amazon, was making uh, half a million dollars a year all in and walked away with no plan. And basically through trial and error, realized that the smartest way to do something like this for people that don't have something already working is to take what he calls small bets, mm -hmm. where your input is capped and your downside is also capped. So they're safe to fail but you're also not investing a ton of time or a ton of money in it. So the opposite of this would be like, I quit my job to found a SaaS and I spend all my time building the SaaS and then I go sell it and realize there's not a market for it. So yeah. that's yeah. high risk because uh, it means you might have to go back to a job. So his perspective is very much focused on just do whatever you can to not go back to a job. And so there's a lot of things that resonated with me about that. Number one, I didn't really like any of my ideas, but he says, to treat ideas like cattle, not like pets. Like yeah. there are a dime a dozen, some will work, some won't. Yeah. So the best thing you can do is just cap your downside. Um, and I took a cohort-based course with him last fall and got a lot more of the philosophy. And Very so cool. basically when it came down to it, I basically felt like I had a plan or something like a plan in place yeah. uh, to be able to quit my job. And I was just ready. I was starting to lose motivation a bit. And uh, I felt like I'd gotten most of the learning out of my current job that uh, I could have without yeah. getting into management, which I didn't really want to do. Right. And so that's kind of how it all came together. And so I planned for basically a year. So I heard this guy, Daniel, actually on the Indie Hackers podcast. And after that, I realized like, oh, this is a possibility. And so I planned for basically that whole year after I heard him on that podcast and then just gave notice about two months ago. That's freaking nutty, man. Was your planning what 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 yeah what went into the the that you, you had a plan for like a year? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, so a few different buckets. One financial, so started setting aside um, money to kind of smooth out the ups and downs that I assume will come with yeah. this lifestyle. Um, also mentally, so just trying to do as much as I could to mentally prepare myself for not having a full time job. Um, there's this guy named Felix Dennis who wrote this book called How to Get Rich, uh, which is a terrible title. I think it's yeah. what it's called. Um, but he basically says uh, the regular paycheck is more addictive than crack cocaine. Ooh, uh, wow. And so I knew it would be tough to not have a steady paycheck anymore. So yeah. I was just trying to mentally prepare myself as much as possible and prepare family. Like I spent a lot of time uh, kind of desensitizing my wife and my parents to this. Yeah. Just so that people like would have heard it enough to kind of just not be surprised. And so uh, I spent a lot of time talking to people and then I felt like taking Daniel's cohort based course was part of that yeah. mental preparation as well. And then other like logistical type things, like making sure that all the uh, T's were crossed and I's were dotted at work as I wrapped up my projects, um, stuff like that. So, and then a rough plan of what I was going to work on when I started. Yeah. That's crazy. Do you have like a timeline for you need to make X amount of you know monthly recurring revenue by X date before you have to go back to work? Or I mean, how are you thinking about that? 
Yeah, so it's a good question. I think that kind of gets back to the Mr. Money Mustache, like living below your means type of thing. Yeah. So it'll we'll see how it plays out. But I think at least in terms of my numbers, we weren't really using that much of my paycheck. And so I'd like to think that there's not that much of a gap between what I'll be making now and what we need to live on. Cool. Uh, and also some of the money I set aside, I'm kind of using as like a quote unquote paycheck where I have like a automatic recurring transfer set up in my bank to where it transfers from the account where the savings are to yeah. checking account. So it cool. kind of feels like getting yeah. some kind of income. Yeah. So I've set it up that way. So I think I'd like to think I could last at least two or three years this way. Awesome. Uh, so we'll see, I guess, like, you know, the numbers uh, don't lie. And I also had to go to the ER two days ago. So <laughs> I'm kind of curious to, as to what the bill will be like for that. But so far, so good, I think. Nice, man. Yeah, that's that's nutty um, to think about. I mean, two to three years is, I mean, depending on what you're working on, it, it, that's a long time. That's a huge runway to to, yeah. kind of, to build something out. So. I would think that you you have a great chance of of getting something um, off the ground. Hopefully, yeah. And I'm if, even if it's multiple things, I think that's totally fine too. Part of the whole small bets approach from Daniel is that you think of it like a portfolio of things. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, one thing may take off; you never know. But I'm kind of like trying to have a, a few different things going on at once. We'll see if I can focus on that or not. But that's kind of the thinking for right now. That's awesome, man. Well, yeah. I'm super excited that we get to document your journey a little bit. I gl- I'm glad that we we started co-hosting uh, early on in the process where you had just quit your job because it'll be fun to celebrate um, you know, the, the small wins along the way. Yeah, yeah. I think documenting it is huge too. I'm doing that on YouTube as well. And even if it doesn't pan out the way I want necessarily, I think seeing progression over time is fun and encouraging. So yeah, it should be good. Dude, if... if- Honestly, and this sounds hokey, but I really do believe if you don't quit, like it's inevitable, you know, like you're, if, as long as you, if you don't quit and if you keep, if you learn from the process, you know, like if you keep data right. points and you, and you know, stuff that is, that works and what doesn't work, um, then I, I think it is inevitable. Like, cause you'll, you'll self-correct along the way, you know, you'll obviously a year from now, you'll think this version of, you know, indie hacking Peter's an idiot <laughs> because, <laughs> because of all that you've learned, you know? Yeah, I hope so. I think of it much the same way in terms of like at bats. And what I tell myself is I just need a lot of at bats, need to take a lot of swings yep. and, and see what works. Yeah. I like that, man. That's super awesome. Yeah. Um, cool. Was there any other updates on your side before we talk about me? <laughs> Well, yeah, just uh, this might be interesting for people if you're thinking about it. One thing I forgot to mention, so in terms of preparation and what I'm working on right now, I got disability insurance, um, which is something that Daniel recommends. So if I can't code anymore, then I get this benefit that pays out, I think, until I'm 65. So if anyone out there is interested in that, then it's something to look into. I got it through Policy Genius, not not sponsored. That's just who I used. (laughs) And um, yeah, so that also went into the kind of financial planning bucket. Um, In terms of projects, just uh, to kind of be more explicit with everyone about where I'm at, I've spun up an LLC. I've got an EIN. I still need to get a business bank account. So it's very early on. Like I said, this is week four Uh, for me. uh, I'm, let's see, doing some work with Aaron, 
And then I'm also doing a lot of outbound right now for a potential freelance contract during the summer to kind of uh, balance things out in terms of cash flow and then continuing to work on building my YouTube audience. I've got this podcast now, which I kind of consider another small bet. And then then I think about starting to build some software maybe. So that's kind of where I'm at and I'll update as we go along. That's awesome. So to clarify, you're for Parsi, our online bootcamp, you're helping mentor, great evals, just some other things. Um, and then you see outbound, you mean you're reaching out to folks to, to land some freelancing projects. I'm starting to, yeah, because okay. uh, the inbound I was getting from recruiters, I would just respond to with, hey, just looking for freelance, you know, 25 hours a week. And most people yeah. are not looking for that. So yep. uh, I'm trying to take a few different approaches and trying to get something that might start like June 1st. So we'll see. Cool. Yeah. Man, that's super awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about also when you start coding up some stuff. Yeah, definitely. Should we move on to you? Let's let's talk about me. <laughs> cool. Like that country song. Um uh okay, so you had like you said, you know, one year of experience when you decided to yeah. take the jump. I, I know that sounds like a pretty good situation. I've read your day in the life blog post you know, catered lunches from Whole Foods, et cetera. I assume you were learning a lot. Yeah. And you, you not only quit this job, but you moved overseas and started yeah. a boot, boot camp from scratch. I'd love to know the kind of the origin of that whole thing. Yeah. So um, I'll try not to make it too long of a story. You know, I graduated college with a degree in religious studies. What was yours, by the way? What was your degree in? Spanish. So also okay. liberal arts. Yeah. E- equally useful. Uh, right. <laughs> At the time, you know, my, my wife and I, we'd wanted to move overseas, honestly, for for missions type stuff through our church. Um, we just always that's kind of how we met, um, which which was our, our goal was to just live abroad and raise our kids abroad just for for a variety of reasons. Um, I realized along the way that I would have to, like, figure out a real job um, and somehow software engineering came up. And this was like the early days of coding boot camps like I. I told my friends I was doing a coding bootcamp and not one person that I regularly talked to had ever heard of such a thing, you know? So it was like the very beginnings of what bootcamps were. And I started off wanting to be a designer and then ended up coding and, you know, went through bootcamp, became a software engineer, that whole thing. On the back of my mind, I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I don't know why. I just grew up thinking that I wanted to start my own business. Um, I, I was not very motivated or ambitious as a kid though at all. Um, like at all, at all, and for any reason of anything, you know, the, the closest thing I did was like play in death metal bands in high school. And I was always kind of the ringleader. Um, the one that was always thinking through like our finances and ordering t-shirts and getting us booked for like recording and getting us booked for like shows to play and promoting us online. So there was some kind of entrepreneurship kind of happening, uh, behind the scenes in that, but yeah. So when I got a job as a software engineer, I'd already knew in the back of my mind that we wanted to move overseas. I thought to myself, oh, cool. So I could either live abroad and, you know, code remotely, because as you said, it was possible as a software engineer to, to, to work remotely. You know, it wasn't very common back then, but I knew it'd be possible. Um, But ideally, and and this, this actually didn't come until after I graduated from the bootcamp, but I was like, holy crap, like this experience was insane. Like I, Literally, my job before that was, you know, I've said this before, I, I parked cars at a Honda dealership for $9 an hour because I literally just couldn't get a job anywhere else. Like, 
I worked in the service department. Like you pulled your car up in the service department and I was the guy who like got in your car and drove it around to the back parking lot until it got like worked on. Like that was my job. And that was like the yeah. only thing I could get college educated, you know, liberal arts degree. That was the only thing I could get, um, yeah. which, which was super depressing, honestly, as, as uh, I, I just got married around the same time. So anyways, I went through the boot camp and got a job as a software engineer at, yeah, it was like at the time, probably my dream company. It was this really cool startup in downtown Austin and had all the amenities. Um, but we knew we wanted to move overseas uh, for a lot of reasons. We ended up moving up over to Tel Aviv, Israel. And my desire was to basically start a coding boot camp um, and, and not be like, basically be like the business operations person, not like the technical person who mm -hmm. would teach or lead or write curriculum for anything. Um, and the way it happened is we had, I guess, our first son uh, already then. We, we moved to Tel Aviv, didn't really know anybody in Tel Aviv and just started kind of networking. Um, it was actually a connection from the guy who started the boot camp I went to randomly got some inquiries from somebody in Tel Aviv, Israel about helping start a boot camp, And he was like, Oh, Aaron wants to move to Israel. Let's connect him." Wow. And he, that guy ended up not wanting to do it, but he connected me to some other guy who had just started a company that was going to be like general assembly where they taught you like all the tech skills and Tel Aviv was like this. I mean, it's this tech startup Mecca, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, it's even more intense, I think in some ways than Silicon Valley is. And so I met this guy, this company. Um, he said, cool, you want to build a boot camp for me? And I said, sure. I said, okay, we'll, we'll contract you out. In the meantime, I was also talking to this all is really weird because I don't think this is like a very repeatable path, but <laughs> I, I knew some people that knew some people that were investors and I talked to them and said, Hey, we need this much money. And so they're like, cool. Yes, we'll invest in it. So they invested in it, which basically allowed me to have a salary um, in Israel from the U S uh, and we did that for a while. Um, and you know, it was successful. Like the students got jobs in Israel and then, um, and that was like all kind of super fast paced, you know, like the, that transition from I'm a software engineer to now an entrepreneur. I didn't expect it to go that way. I also didn't expect to be the person who was doing all the work. Um, right. they just ended up, you know, very Israeli of them, <laughs> which uh, Israel is like this, like, I don't know. It's a funny culture. They're, they're, uh, they don't BS. They're, they're not, particularly kind. Uh, and I don't mean that is like a, you know, like in the South, especially here, like we, we sweeten everything we say, right. and I'll just say it. And, and I remember Avi being like, yeah, sir, I guess you're gonna have to do it all. I was like, what do you mean? That's not what I signed up for. And it was just like, okay, well, what are we going to do? You know, what, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> he, and he was helpful. The guy who, who led that company, um, but I ended up like basically writing all the curriculum, building everything, everything from scratch. And my, my schedule was like, I was up at 4 a.m., writing curriculum till nine, teaching from nine to five home. We'd basically do dinner and bath with my kid, put him to bed. Then I was up to like 1am writing curriculum. And that was like the first cohort. Like literally I was as, as long as I was a couple days ahead of the students, like I was in, I was in good shape. So I was like literally building it as I went, but it was interesting to see like how at the end of that, like cohort two was holy crap. It was a breeze, you know? Cause I, I mean, I had all this curriculum it had been done before. Um, yep. And yes, yeah, so that was that. And then we ended up moving to Durham, North Carolina in 2017. 
Um, ultimately, because my wife's mom got real sick, we just moved here to be close to family um, and started an in-person coding boot camp, which was equally difficult. Um, it went really well. People got jobs, all of that. It was just, it was an insane amount of work, you know, to like teach all day, every day, and then also be in charge of marketing and, and all the other things and having employees. Um, and kind of the same thing with, with your story, which is like the pandemic, like really helped create like a breaking point where we felt like we were just burnt out. Like now we were teaching six hours a day, but it was all on zoom. And that will make you want to kill yourself, you know, like being in a live Zoom call all the, I mean, I'm sure you've done, this is your second interview today. I'm sure you're tired of of being on Zoom already. Um, But uh, yeah, so what we ended up doing was shutting the business down. And my goal was, okay, can I, can I start another thing just like this, but make it less expensive? Because at the time we charged $24,000 for our online code school or not, sorry, our in-person coding bootcamp which was justified when students got really great jobs. Right. Um, and honestly, we, we lost money every year. Like, so it wasn't like we were like, cha-ching, $25,000. Like, it was more like, oh, one person quits. Like, oh, you're quitting? Uh, uh, I, how am I going to pay the bills if you quit? That's like $25,000 off of our, like, revenue for the quarter, you know? Because we only had one cohort, like, every four months or so. So it was like we had one chance at revenue. Right. Um, and that was it. So as a business, it was incredibly hard. So the goal was, okay, can I do this online and cut a ton of the expenses and then pass that savings on to students? Yeah. And so now our program, the base price is 7,900, but depending on a number of factors, you can get a few discounts for it as well. Um, and that all came because we basically automated all the curriculum and, um, and that has, that has been huge. I think I'm 80% less stressful we were profitable the first year while still like lowering the price. Um, so far, uh, results are similar as far as like students getting jobs and um, salaries and all of that. And then, in fact, actually tomorrow here at the American Underground, I'm giving like a talk on business automation, um, basically telling the story of like, hey, like I'm now doing with one person and a bunch of contractors what we were able to do. Um, you know, I'm I'm by no means rich but um but i'm i'm like not as stressed so that's been like my entrepreneurial journey up to this point i think honestly probably similar timeline to you you know learning about this idea like multiple income streams etc like that is evolving a ton for me right now like i'm thinking about well maybe parsi doesn't have to be my only thing you know maybe there's some other things i can do as well on the side, because just like I would a normal job, I get worried. Like what, what if like some kind of pandemic level thing happens again? And this is my only like stream of income. Um, yeah. So I've been thinking about some other things. So one of the things that we're working on, me and a couple other friends is like a web three code school, which like, I haven't like talked about it all or published. There's, there's a website for it, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw it out there just yet. Um, we'll skip (laughs) over that. Do what? I said, we'll skip over it then. Well, you couldn't find it. You couldn't find it. Yeah. Um, where we're going to take um, basically senior level software engineers who want to get into Web3 and provide essentially a boot camp for them to transition. Um, it's going to be very like project heavy because especially with Web3, it's like you can you can get work really easily. Like this, this idea, like you, right now you're talking about searching for like a part-time contract 
which is like what tons of senior engineers want to do right now, right? Like right. Uh, we talk about Gumroad is was a great solution um, as far as like the way they've done their hiring is like they'll pay you hourly and no meetings, no fluff, whatever. It just show up, do the work, and that's it. Um, yep. And Web three, there's a huge opportunity for that. And so we're basically want to train our students by giving them like work in the meantime, and then placing my companies. So that's one thing I'm doing. And then I've got honestly a few other things that I want to get into at the same time. Um, it's just like, as I slowly automate, like with, with Parsity, I think I've either delegated or automated stuff that like I'm not good at. And then now I'm like freed up to invest in just the stuff that I'm good at um, and enjoy. And I hope just to keep doing that with a bunch of different things. And like you said, making, making small bets on, you know, whether it be building an audience, um, trying to do a podcast, we have this free 30 day JavaScript course online that, you know, honestly, like isn't making me money yet. Um, and maybe it won't, but it's a small bet to try and figure out like, is there something here? Um, and mostly for me, it's, it's, can, can this be the thing that helps prepare students for a program like Parsity, um, beyond just like learning JavaScript, if, if that makes sense. So, yeah, totally. And super interesting to hear the progression. I'm curious, was there one point where you're sitting on the six hour long Zoom calls where it kind of hit you like, hey, we could uh, record this once instead of teaching it every cohort and kind of leverage it up? Or was it more like, a, oh, we can't keep paying for this office space if we're all going to be on Zoom type of thing? Like, what was the thought process? No, it wasn't. I mean, it was all really obvious from the very beginning. Right. I mean, even before the pandemic, I started thinking, man, if we recorded this, it would actually be better because um, you would. And this is the funniest thing about trying to explain to prospective students that, hey, a live class isn't better. It's actually probably worse because mostly what students would do is they would read through curriculum like in our classroom all day. You know, like they, it, there, there was very little lecture. And then like when there was a lecture, it'd be like us getting up in front of them speaking for 45 minutes on a topic and then being like, all right, any questions? And in a group of people, like no one's going to raise their hand and ask a question. Like no one wants to do that. And then if I lost you like five minutes into the lecture and you don't understand what's going on when it comes to coding, it's like, you're done, right? The, the next, the next 40 minutes are like a waste of your time. Right. Cause you're, you're listening to me talk about something. And you're like, you didn't get the thing the first five minutes. And so what actually happens with, the recorded stuff is we get to take that 45 minute lecture and break it up into small little five minute videos, which you can pause, rewind, jump on the Slack, ask questions about. And, and, and moreover, I think what's interesting to me is, man, most of the time, I mean, I gave, I don't even know. I mean, dozens of lectures, every cohort, right? right. So each time I gave a lecture on something, it had been three months since I'd given that lecture. Um, and I'm going to give another one this afternoon, another one tomorrow morning. And so usually they weren't very good, to be honest with you. Like they got better as the cohorts went because they got consistent at it. But whenever you record something, it gives you opportunity to then like refine it and improve it. Right. Whereas when I just pull stuff, like you don't know, I mean, which version of intro to reduction are you getting this cohort? I don't know. Like did Aaron sleep well last night? If he did, <laughs> like, you might be getting a good one. If not, yeah. like regardless of how good my notes are, like, I might be making up something new that could be good for this cohort or it may not be. So I always knew that the, um, the optics of this aren't good. Cause it's like, Oh, they're going to make us watch videos. 
but I always knew like if there was a way to like offer polished recorded versions, and I don't mean like production value, you know, like we don't have high production value with Parsity. Um, but if there's, if there's, if there's a way to offer like something that was like premeditated a little bit more. Yeah. Like informationally yeah. high quality. Yeah. It'd be better, but it was just with, with project shift, there was just no time. Like I had zero capacity like whenever you're, whenever six hours of my day or whatever are accounted for already, like there's no way I'm going to be able to, I mean, it took me six months basically when project shift shut down before Parsity launched, it took me six months to build out version one of the Parsity curriculum, you know? So that was like the main thing. It was like, Oh, I just didn't think I had capacity to ever do it. And then pandemic kind of forced it. It was like, all right, either do it or like just die, you know, <laughs> it's right. like the feeling. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, interesting. Yeah. How it all comes together in that way and kind of like pushed you as well to take action on some things you'd been noticing anyway. Uh, super interesting. I'm also curious. So I've noticed that you're good at building systems it makes sense that you're giving a talk tomorrow on business automation. So I'm curious, is like you, making heavy use of SOPs and and Zapier and all that kind of stuff, did that come along with the pandemic as well? Or were you already doing that kind of stuff? Um, a little bit of both. I mean, I've been aware, I think basically I was aware of SOPs, you know, standard operating procedures, um, because I had read enough like entrepreneurship books <laughs> Got it. that tell you you should do them. Um, but even whenever, but most of the time, to be honest, whenever we tried to implement them in our business, it was like any of the employees were were basically, dude, I don't have time. Like you're asking me to write down what I'm doing. Like that sounds dumb. And it was true. It's like, yeah, you're right. That, that sounds dumb. Like, why would we, why wouldn't we do this? So for me, it came out of necessity though, because I no longer had like a staff whenever I started Parsley. Like I was, I was back to like square one, just myself. Um, and so part of even like this, this talk I'm giving tomorrow about SOPs, um, and automation is, is basically it walks through the process that I went through to figure out like, should I do this automating and should I create a process of it? And how do you determine? And basically like, like the, in a swip, a quick summary is like, I, I had to first identify like, what is like the core focus of my business, right? Because the, the essence of any business is that you you sell a product or service for profit, right? right? Like that's like ultimately like a business, even if your business is like for impact or mission driven, whatever you want to call it. If you don't have profit, you don't have a business because profit is like the cash flow, the lifeblood of your business. So that's what every business exists to do. And most businesses, unless they're very big, they sell one product, which means they solve one problem. And so everything in their business ultimately should point at helping to contribute to solving that one problem. Um, at least if they're efficient and, and ultimately efficiency like is profitable, right? Like efficiency and profitability are, are the same thing, right? Because if your business is more efficient, it means you're spending less to do more, which right. is profit. It's income minus expenses. So if you have less expenses and more income or more income, less expenses, like you, you have more profit. And so for me, the process went through, okay, Taking like a, um, I don't know what you call this chart. Uh, line chart? Yeah, line chart. Okay. Um, and one yeah. axis is the time and energy spent, right? And the other axis is um, is basically impact on like the core focus of your business. So if it takes a lot of time, but it has a lot of impact, then that's probably something that should be automated or create a process. Let, let's see if we can cut that time down. Um, it. If it's something that takes a lot of time, but has a, was very little impact 
on like the core focus of your business, then Stop you probably delete it. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's probably like, like if I determine at some point, like the pot, like actually it's ironically like this talk I'm giving tomorrow is probably one of those things, right? It has nothing to do with training students to become software engineers. And it took me a lot of time to figure out the talk. <laughs> so <laughs> probably not, I should probably not do those anymore. You know, like if I'm thinking that way, um, or if it's something that has a lot of impact, but doesn't take you much time at all, like just probably don't mess with it. Like, right. you know, it's not something worth looking into. Like, you don't need to document something that like you're already efficiently doing anyway. Um, so yeah, it, I kind yeah. of went through that process. Um, and, you know, I'm still doing that now too. Like uh, slowly, you know, we've done that together a little bit of like just creating processes uh, and not just for the sake of like, if you die, like, you know, if Peter dies, like how will the eval get graded? Um, but it also helps us like improve it. You know, if there is right. a process, then there's something to be improved. If there's not a process, like you can't improve upon it, you know? Yeah. I think it's just a good practice because uh, it eliminates the key rant, key man risk, quote unquote, which is what we called it in my last job where it's oh, like yeah. only so-and-so knows how to do X, Y, Z. And so if they leave the company, then we're kind of screwed. Like you never want to be in that position. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so so and so's dead. Yeah. Now what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So interesting. So you you kind of mentioned this in passing. So doing this has freed up more time because you're not teaching every day now. Yeah. You're investing that time in other things, potentially other income streams. You mentioned uh, Dev Thirty, Web Three stuff, this podcast. I assume anything else that you want to give an update on? Um. I'm trying to think I've, I've consciously invested more time into like posting on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was kind of by a happy accident. Like I I'd noticed that when I post on LinkedIn versus other places randomly, like my posts would do pretty well. And then I think one day I had a post that, you know, got like several hundred engagements um, and so I ended up taking like a course on building LinkedIn and decide, okay, every day, Monday through Friday, I'll, I'll do one post. And it's, it's super difficult to know like what's going to go well or not, but I just trying to be consistent. And I think, I think basically the months of January and February, I got like over a million views on my content. That's crazy. And then That's 200, crazy. yeah, 270 people signed up for dev 30. Um, obviously not all 270 have endured. I think we're now like going into week four. Um, but I was like, Oh man, this is something I should definitely invest in, um, is like personal brand. And it's yeah. fun. Like it's, I really like it. I come alive when I can sit down and, and write content. So yeah, I'm still interested in like figuring out what that looks like, uh, probably eventually moving to Twitter because if my audience are people learning to code, that's honestly not LinkedIn. <laughs> right. People usually get on LinkedIn once they've, once they like have gone through bootcamp and now want a job. Exactly. Um, so yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think. Twitter would be really interesting to see just because it, I think there's a lot of growth potential on it. And that's been something I've been meaning to do, but it's just not the highest priority. I'd say YouTube is the highest priority for me right now. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, your voice really shines through in those posts. So it'll be interesting to see it on Twitter. I think people will uh, tend to gravitate to it, whether negatively or positively. I've noticed you, you put a strong statement out there at and it tends to polarize people, but it's super fun to hang out in the comments and see what people end up saying about it. Yeah. I get worked up sometimes. I mean, I, I try not to like be too much of a jerk, like when I, in response to some of the posts, but yeah. I think for example, like one of them today was basically a, um, 
I don't know, like a step-by-step explanation of, Hey, how you can, the most common way I've seen people get become six figure software engineers. And the post obviously wasn't, Oh, go through a bootcamp and you become a software engineer. It was basically like go through a bootcamp and then like work your butt off and do, I think the list was 17 things. Then you can get a job as a six figure software engineer. And like one guy was like so angry and responded that, you know, he went through boot camp, became a software engineer, but he had first like gone to engineering school at Berkeley and all this other kind of stuff. And um, I don't know, like it worked me up. I was like, are you kidding, man? Like, why'd you go through, if you went through you know, engineering school at Berkeley, then why'd you need a boot camp? I'm just trying not to do that. Cause I think that's just, that's a good sign to me. If people are, are getting mad at, you know, our, our stuff. Yeah. Um, it probably just means they've got something else, like some other experience and like what we're saying rails against their experience and that's fine. You, you can't like please everybody, you know? Right. Yeah. For the right kind of person, it'll fire them up. Uh, yeah. And for other people, it's probably just not meant for them. Yeah. Right. 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 Cool. Um, sweet. Well, I think this has been a good summary of our lives. Yeah. Good. Uh, good our, intro our, session. Our work lives so far. Yeah. We'll, we'll stay up to date. Um, I'm excited to, man, I think we both have some, some fun, irons in the fire i'm excited to see like where the freelancing thing comes for you um how how this progression looks of you like researching or figuring out or validating different SaaS ideas of, of what you're actually going to be start starting to build um and then for me you know I'll, I'll keep everyone up to date on dev 30 type things of um the web3 school as well part of the plan with web3 school by the way is to integrate that curriculum into parsity also so that our grads could eventually do an additional track to where they can learn, you know, how to build smart contracts with solidity and stuff and, and be open to like a whole new group of, of jobs. Yeah. That'd be super sweet. Uh, it'll be fun to hear how all that comes together. All right, man. Well, um, I guess that's it. Cool. See you in the next one. See you the next one. Hey, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Develop Yourself podcast. To learn more about my online coding bootcamp, Parsity, go to parsity.io, it's P-A-R-S-I-T-Y, or to join our free 30-day cohort-based JavaScript course that teaches you how to work on your skills, your habits, your network, and your mindset, go to dev30.xyz, that's D-E-V-3-0.xyz. Our next cohort starts April 25th, and it's the last time we're going to offer this 30-day course for free. And lastly, a plug for Peter here. Don't forget to check out his incredibly helpful YouTube channel. Link is in the show notes. That's youtube.com slash Peter Elbaum. And we'll see you next week.